Good morning. Today is Sunday, February 14th, 2021. I heard this story from Rabbi Yisrael Reisman. There was a man who had a daughter of marriageable age, and he called his rabbi to see if his rabbi knew a young man that would be appropriate for his daughter. And the rabbi says, I've got just the perfect fellow. He's a scholar. He's a gentleman. He's a mensch. He's a wonderful person. It will be tremendously appropriate for your daughter. And this is my suggestion. So the couple goes out on their first date. And the next day, the father calls the rabbi. He says, what did you do to me? What have you done to my, what have you done to my daughter? She's traumatized. He's not a mensch. He's, he's the opposite of a mensch. What did you do? So the rabbi is shocked because he knows this young man. So he says to the man, what happened? So the man says, well, they went out, they went to a place, they uh, got some coffee. They were sitting down and talking. And uh, my daughter asked him a question to make conversation. My daughter asked him a question. Where do your parents live? And he said, what's it your business? She said to him, uh, do you have brothers and sisters? He said to her, who cares? She said to him, uh, what are you thinking of uh, studying to go into as a career, as a profession? And he says to her, what difference does it make? So the father says to the rabbi, this is the young man that you thought was appropriate to my daughter. The rabbi says, Ay vey, it's my fault. It's all my fault. Let me explain what happened. The boy was very nervous. It was the first time he had ever been out on a date with a girl. And he came to me and he asked me, what should I do? What should I say? So I told him, listen, just relax, be calm, and just talk to her the way your parents talk to each other. Today is Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day is not a Jewish holiday. But I will use any excuse possible to enhance the love between husband and wife. Especially now, when for so many of us there is even more pressure from so many aspects of COVID so many challenges to shalom bias, to true harmony within the home and love and respect of each other. So permit me to share with you this morning two brief insights. They're sort of connected to each other. One comes from this week's parsha, the parsha of Truma, and the other comes from last week's parsha, the parsha of Mishpatim. Our parsha Truma, describes the Aron, the Ark, 
that God commanded the Jewish people to build, which would hold the luchos, the two, the two tablets of stone upon which were engraved the Aseris Adibros, the Ten Commandments. On top of the Aron, it was a box. On top of the Aron was a cover, and it was called the Kaporos. The Kaporos was a cover, so it was a lid. It was a flat piece that covered the opening of this box. It was a flat base, but rising up from the base were, the Torah tells us, Vasisa Shnayim Kruvim. You should make two cherubs. That is a type of an angel. So there are these two figures rising up from the base, from the lid. And there are two angels. Parse Kanafayim Lamala. And each angel had its wings extended upwards towards each other, but high upwards. So that they created a schach from the word sukkah. They created like a canopy above the kaporas. So you have this box. It holds the luchos. And then you have these two figures of angels made out of gold. And their wings stretched up towards each other, forming a canopy covering the aron. And creating, of course, this sheltered open space under their wings and above the Aron. There is this empty space covered by the canopy created by their wings. And then the Torah says, l'chashom, I will make myself known to you, God says, from that spot. V'dibarti itcha, God says to motion to the Jewish people, I will speak to you from that spot. Me'al hakaporis, just above the base of the cover. Mi'bein shnei hakruvim asher al aron ho'edus, between the two cherubs on top of the aron the holiest spot in the world, the focal point of the Mishkan, the focal point of the Jewish people, the focal point of Judaism, the place from which God will speak. The Medrash says that one kruv, one cherub, one angel, had the appearance, the face of a male, and the other cherub had the appearance, the face of a female. And from the space between them and their outstretched wings, God's presence emanated to the Jewish people and to the world. This may be the source of the statement in the Talmud, famous statement, Ish v'isha, husband and wife, when they live together with true shalom bias, when they truly love each other and respect each other and honor each other, shrina shruya beinehem, God's divine presence rests between them. Proper romantic love between a husband and wife is not only physical and it's not only emotional, but it's also spiritual. So a question arises.
The Torah says in our parsha, the kan upnehem ish el achiv, the two cherubs of gold rising out of the top of this cover, they were facing each other. One face the other. And that seems to make sense. You're talking about some type of, on some level, some type of intimate relationship, this male and this female, they're facing each other and God's voice speaks from between the two of them. The problem is that that verse is contradicted by another verse later in Tanakh, in the book of Divrei Hayam, in the book of Chronicles, where it says that these two Keruvim, these two cherubs, were facing the same direction, shoulder to shoulder, not facing each other. So the Talmud asks this question. And the Talmud says it appears to be a contradiction. And the Talmud says it wasn't always the same. The position miraculously changed from one time to another, from one period to another, because the position of the Keruvim vis-a-vis each other mirrored the quality of the relationship between them. And the Talmud says as follows, Khan, one Pasuk is talking about Bizman Shi Yisrael Osin Ritzonu Shalmakam. One Pasuk is talking about describing the relationship of these two Kruvim during the period of time where the Jewish people is living up to the words that God commands them. Kam Bizman Yisrael Osin Ritzonu Shalmakam. And the other was talking about when the Jewish people are unfortunately not listening to God, not living up to the standards that God sets for us. So the simple explanation of, the, of that answer is, when everything is good, they face each other with love, with affection. When things are not so good, hopefully you don't know from such a thing, but when things are not so good, husband and wife, each one is facing their own direction. They're not looking at each other. They're kind of looking in opposite directions. The couple is not facing each other. Okay, that's one way. And I think that's the intuitive, simple way to understand this. But I want you to hear, please, the insight of Rabbi J.J. Schachter, who offers a very different view, which expresses a deep truth about marriage. A married couple facing each other is important. It's good that there should be romance, that there should be attraction, that each should give pleasure to the other. That is very important. But if that is the totality of the relationship, it is doomed. Because eventually, a couple facing each other will find fault with the other. The secret of a happy marriage is when a couple can also stand shoulder to shoulder facing the same direction, focused on a shared mission in their lives, in their marriage. 
Now, it doesn't matter what that, what that mission is, as long as it's something that's important, something that elicits their better selves, something that reaches beyond the two of them. Rabbi Yosef Grunblatt, a great rabbi who actually at one time lived in Montreal many years ago. Rabbi Yosef Grunblatt put this so elegantly and so wisely. The key to togetherness is beyondness. When husband and wife are focused on what they will accomplish together, whatever those goals are, but they're focused on a sense of mission in their lives, in their marriage, in their home, that's a strong marriage. That's a marriage that will have the connection, that will overcome any minor faults or disagreements, which will inevitably arise between the two of them. And it's a good idea every once in a while, maybe on an anniversary, maybe even on Valentine's Day, for a couple to review and to renew their sense of shared mission with each other in their marriage. Allow me to share one last second insight from Rabbi Yisachar Frand from last week's Parsha, the Parsha Mishpatim, which uses a curious word for a person who is single. Now, Today, in modern Hebrew, we use the word ravak to refer to a man who is single. But in last week's parish of Mishpatim, the word that is used referring to a single man, and of course the same idea will apply to a single woman, is the word begapo. Now, that word is not used in this context anywhere else in the Torah or Mishnaic literature. Bigapo. What does it mean, bigapo? Rashi says, bigapo means biknafo, with his garment. A person with their garment. That's an odd phrase. The metaphor for being single is a person's garment. Rabbi Fran explains what that means is we define a person who is single as a person whose world ends where his garment ends. He or she is a self-contained unit. His world, her world ends where he ends, where she ends. In contrast to a married person, a person whose world is not just self-contained, but a person whose life and whose world is concerned with another, concerned with others, focused on another, focused on others. You see this beautifully expressed in the book of Ruth, Sefer Rus, where Ruth approaches Boaz and suggests that Boaz should marry her, and she uses the words, Ufarasta kenafecha ala mascha. 
Will you please spread your garment over me? In other words, she says to him, will you take me into your world? Will you extend your world beyond just yourself to encompass me as well? This is one of the sources of the practice at every Jewish wedding of a bedeckin where the groom places a garment, a veil over the face of the bride. It's also expressed in some traditional Jewish weddings where the bride and groom stand together under the chuppah with one single talus spread over the two of them. In both cases, the idea is, or one of the ideas, is that the bride pledges to the groom and the groom pledges to the bride the, to the bride as we spread this garment over both of us our lives are not going to be contained by just ourselves we all will be concerned with each other with protecting each other with loving each other with uplifting each other and not just each other but with god's help our family and others our home will be other centered <clears throat> and this ideal for life does not, of course, depend on marriage. Those not married can also be other-focused, concerned with, preoccupied by, preoccupied by helping, sharing, uplifting others. Marriage is one of many paths to live the kind of life God wants for us, to be other-centered, other-focused. And that's the lesson that comes from this singular use of the word bigapo, to mean one who is single. I want to finish with a story. It's an unbelievable story. It's told by Yaffa Eliach in her classic work, Hasidic Tales of the Holocaust. And if you have read this, you know what I mean. If you have not read this, I urge you, you must read this work. It is fantastic. It is moving. Please, Hasidic Tales of the Holocaust by Yaffa Eliach. It is a classic. Many of the stories she tells are about Rabbi Yisrael Spira, the Bluzhva Rebbe, one of the most remarkable heroes during and after the Holocaust. You may not believe the story that I am about to tell you, but it is a true story. And it happened during the Holocaust. It was a dark and cold night in the Janowska work camp. In the middle of the night, over the loudspeaker, there was a very loud, rough, angry announcement. Everyone out of the barracks and walked to the vacant lot. And there was chaos and fear and pandemonium. People were in a panic. And exhausted, the middle of the night, people that didn't have enough food to eat, almost skeletons themselves, 
somehow in the middle of the night, they reached the field where the Nazis were forcing them to go. And in the middle of the field was a huge pit, a gigantic, huge, huge pit. And then amidst their terror and their exhaustion, they realized what was going to happen now. And all of a sudden there was another voice over the loudspeaker, rough, angry voice and said, you are now going to jump over the pit. And whoever does not jump over the pit will be shot. And there was a row of Nazi soldiers with machine guns ready, more than ready, to do this task. And it was clear to these poor people that this was just a sick game. There was no one who could jump over the pit. It was 30 feet, 40 feet. It was just, it was not possible even if somehow an Olympic athlete would be able to somehow do it, which is even then not possible, but these people emaciated, weakened, their feet were bloodied. It was, it was a cruel game that the Nazis were playing to get them to make fools of themselves and to shoot them and to murder them on the spot. Among the thousands of Jews gathered, was Rabbi Yisrael Spira, the Bluzhava Rebbe. And standing next to him was a man, a Jewish man, not a religious man, but the rabbi and this man had met each other in the labor camp and they had become friends. And the man said to Rabbi Spira, he said, Spira, he didn't address him with respect, which is okay, you know. Spira, it's just a game that they're going to play. They're going to shoot us anyway. What sense does it make to even try? At the end, we're all going to be shot anyway. And the rabbi said to him, as they were walking towards the edge of the pit, the rabbi said, listen, my friend, we have to listen to the commandments of God. And if it's decreed from heaven that this should be our end, then this will be our end. And if God, but we are not allowed to take our own lives, even under these circumstances. And if somehow we jump and it takes us another second or two until the bullet reaches us, and then we reach the world of truth a moment later, well then, that's what God wants of us. The rabbi and his friend were nearing the edge of the pit. And as they reached the pit, the rabbi closed his eyes and he commanded in a powerful whisper, we are jumping. And when they opened their eyes, 
the two of them, the rabbi and his friend, they found themselves on the other side of the pit. And the man couldn't believe it. He says, Spiro, we're here, we're here, we're alive. What happened? How did it happen? It's impossible. How did it happen? And so Rabbi Spira said to him, I'll tell you how it happened. I, Rabbi Spira, was holding on to my ancestral merit. I was holding on to the coattails of my father and my grandfather and my great-grandfather of blessed memory. I was holding on to their coattails and they carried me across this impossible chasm. But then the rabbi said to his friend, I understand now how I jumped over the pit. But how did you manage to jump over the pit? And the man said, Rabbi Spira, I was holding on to you. Every one of us, in ways mundane and dramatic, is holding on to someone else's coattails. And every one of us, in ways mundane and dramatic, must offer our coattails to save someone else. My friends, I wish you a great day. And I look forward to seeing all of you soon in person.